Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. A very pleasant good evening to you. Welcome to That's Truth. I am Augustine Erskine, and alongside me is Pastor David Murphy. He's here to answer your questions. I do trust that you'll be able to stay with us for the entire program, and I do trust that you will receive real spiritual truths from God's Word as Pastor Murphy answers the questions tonight. Last week we started on this question, how to choose a church, and we'll be beginning with this question tonight, and also we'll be dealing with another question from a listener who have written in, and it's all about the passage of scripture in the Gospel of John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, where the question was asked, what does it mean to worship God in spirit and in truth? So I do trust that you will Stay with us, get involved. Remember, you could be live on the air. So we are looking forward to hearing from you tonight. Pastor Murphy, I asked this question last week, but we are going to um, ask it again for the benefit of probably those who weren't listening last week. Do I really need to become a member of a local church when I am already a part of the body of Christ, a part of the universal church? We attempted to answer that question last week, and I thought we had done it adequately, but it might be worth repeating. Uh, The fact that a person belongs to the universal church uh, um, does not in any way absolve them from the responsibility of being part of a local church. Um, You would notice that every uh, epistle that Paul wrote he wrote to a specific church in a geographical location, whether that be the Corinthians, the Ephesians, the Galatians. And uh, so there are local churches. You'll also notice that in the book of Acts, as you had these different conversions uh, after preaching, uh, clearly someone was keeping the roster because we're given this amount of people that were saved and added to the church. So there's no doubt about it that God had established local churches and true, authentic, genuine believers all belong to the universal church. But the responsibility of every believer to be part of a local body and belong to a local church. This is crucial uh, uh, to get involved in the ministry. One has a spiritual gift. Every believer has at least one spiritual gift, according to the book of Romans, and that spiritual gift to be used within the body of Christ. Also, we have uh, responsibilities in terms of missions, if a church is going to fulfill its mandate to, care, to send missions, missionaries all over the world and to fulfill that uh, the Great Commission, we have to pool our resources so that the church can afford to um, support missionaries overseas, etc., etc. Uh, 
it seemed impossible if everybody thought that they didn't have to belong to a church. I don't see how in any way the church would ever be able to fulfill its mandate, its missionary mandate of sending people out. Uh, and, and then, of course, you need uh, accountability. If you belong to a local church, you're accountable to that local body. Uh, you need mutual edification, uh, and you need to have uh, good Christian friends who can be there to uh, lift you up and encourage you and even rebuke you when you need that rebuking. So I think it's vitally important that a person becomes a member of a local church. Remember that man didn't form the church. This is where I, I have difficulty with people who entertain the thought that they don't have to belong to a local church. God said, this is my church that he's building. Uh, so if we are part of the body of Christ, uh, we should belong to the local church and uh, play our role within the ministry so that God's kingdom can advance. Thank you very much, Pastor Murphy. But suppose I would say that I could stay home, listen to my radio, watch um, radio program or television program. Well, I think that is one of the excuses that people uh, use today. Uh, they have some very good preachers on the radio, and I think that people are inclined to take advantage of that opportunity. I think that the television sometimes rivals the local church. Uh, they've got all the... Uh, different types of music that sometimes is more appealing. Uh, and very honestly, sometimes you've got pastors of tremendous years of experience that they're two uh, very, very solid preachers. But again, within the context of the church, uh, the church is a worshiping community. And uh, that uh, television audience or that television uh, preacher, he has his own church. And, and you, we, we're here in Antigua. We have a responsibility to Antigua. And uh, we need to be able to be part of the local church, not just staying home. Uh, the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And that is a, a command that is given to us in the book of Hebrews. So it's not an option for the believer. Uh, a genuine believer should be part of a local church, and he should uh, see himself as one that is a member that contributes to the body, to the mutual growth of the body, and he's needed uh, with his talents and his gifts and his abilities, as well as his resources, to help the church to fulfill its God-given mandate in terms of missions, evangelism, and, of course, general edification of the church. Okay, as we continue, here is another question. In choosing a church, what are the qualities I should look for in a church? Let me just... Um, begin by making a disavowal at the beginning of, of responding to this question. If you're looking for a perfect church, I've got some good some good news for you. You're not going to find it, okay? There's no perfect church. The reason why there's no perfect church is because there's no perfect congregation. There's no perfect people. All of us are redeemed sinners, and you will always find within whatever church you join, whatever church you go to, you're going to find issues that um, you just not going to be satisfied with the way to do certain things, etc., etc. And every church has a history and a tradition, and uh, that interplays within the normal running of the church. So I just want to say that if you're looking for perfection, you're not going to find it. And if there was perfection, you'd join it, you'd spoil it in any case. So let us understand very clearly that uh, we, we're not going to find a perfect church. However, having said that, I do believe that there's some vital 
um, guidelines in helping a person to decide on a particular church they're going to attend. I'm just going to mention these, not in any particular order, but I think that these these um, eight or nine things are crucial in terms of deciding on a church. I think the, the most important issue has to do with doctrine. I think you need to get the doctrinal statement of that church. You need to take, take some time going through it line by line, precept by precept, to try to see exactly what the biblical doctrine is of that local church. Uh, make sure that they are solid on the fundamentals, such as the virgin birth of Christ, his deity, uh, his resurrection. Um, make sure that they're right on the ordinances of the church. And also make sure that they are uh, hold a position on, on, on hell and heaven and the coming judgment and the second coming. And be very, very sure that they uh, have a correct doctrine in, in relation to the atonement and salvation. I think those are the core doctrines that are central uh, to uh, biblical theology, and I believe that uh, it is crucial to understand where your church stands on these doctrinal issues. There are other doctrines, of course, that would come into play, but those are the central ones uh, today. The next thing I would suggest to you is the, 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 uh, the form of preaching. My recommendation is to get in a church where you've got song, solid, expository preaching. Uh, preachers who are always hopping from one topic to another can never really edify you and build you up, can never give you a sequential understanding of Scripture. You need a Bible expositor who will take the Bible, go through the Bible, and uh, book by book. And uh, Because that's what... Look, Christianity is about truth. It's not about emotion. Uh, it's not about pyrotechnics. It's about truth. It's about informing the mind, and having informed the mind, that truth uh, then creates an emotional response in the believer. Uh, the pastor's job is never to go directly to the, the emotions of the audience. If he does, he's vulgar. Uh, his job is to preach truth, and as the believer begins to comprehend that truth, it will then begin to affect how the believer feels. Uh, so I would say to you, uh, find a church where uh, there's solid expository preaching, the pastor majors in the Bible is not politics, is not current events or current affairs. Uh, it is basically a solid exposition of the Bible. I think that is crucial for anyone who is going to uh, develop and grow uh, in their faith and in grace. A, th- a third element, I think, is, is church discipline. Uh, make sure that your church practices biblical discipline. Uh, if there is sin and iniquity in the life of its leaders, Make sure that the, your church will not close its eye to the evil uh, doing of your leaders, but are prepared to take whatever biblical action is required. Uh, make sure as well that your, your members, uh, especially those in positions of leadership, Sunday school teachers, deacons, etc., missions committees, persons, uh, those persons especially in, in leadership position, uh, that there is no favoritism in respect to uh, the amount of, of discipline, and when there need uh, to be disciplined, uh, make sure that that actually happens. Matthew 18 talks about this in First Corinthians chapter 5, deals with this matter. Um, another thing I think that is uh, important is the biblical concept of, of church membership. How do you become a member into your church? Um, uh, make sure that it's upon professional faith, and I would suggest to you that if they're transferring from another church, 
that there's some kind of a letter of transfer that is given uh, to your church and inquire as to why the person is leaving the other church and coming over to your church. You might be thinking you're getting the sheep, but you might end up with a goat. So you want to make sure that the person who's coming in uh, to your ministry, that the pastor who uh, was the former pastor would uh, be able to you to speak to him and perhaps get the endorsement that this person is in right standing with that particular local church. So I think uh, church membership is important. Make sure it is as a result of conversion and also make sure that there's an exemplary life that is emphasized in regard to church membership. And then uh, church government. How is the church governed? Do they have the two offices that the Bible speaks about, uh, pastors or elders and deacons? Um, that That is important. Uh, try to find out exactly how the church is organized and what offices they, ha- they have within that local church. And this one is crucial, financial transparency and integrity. Uh, make sure that uh, you have a voice in the disbursement of your funds in your church, that whatever is going to be spent, it is brought before the church, get the approval of the church. Um, uh, you, you need to, to know what's going on financially within your church. You need to make sure that the resources of the church are being used in a way that honors God. Uh, so I'd be very, very careful to make sure that we get financial statements, that we can ask questions about the use of how the finances were spent, and that uh, we can hold those people in the church leadership accountable uh, to the congregation. Remember that uh, the church is the final voice. Um, pastors are to motivate people. Pastors can have visions. Uh, pastors should uh, try to convince people in directions that they should go. Uh, but again, the church should approve those decisions. And if a pastor finds that the church um, would not support his positions or uh, would not support his vision, then it might be time for him to move on and find another church. But uh, always hold your leaders uh, accountable financially. Uh, make sure there are proper signatures for the, the checks that are going out. Make sure the checks and balances in terms of receipts and uh uh, proper financial procedures, all of that is crucial. I don't have to tell you what's going on uh, in the different parts of the world. The uh, corruption, not only in uh, government, but corruption in churches and the misuse of God's money. Uh, we are stewards of God's resources, and we should hold our leaders accountable financially. Another thing I think is important is um, the opportunity for the use of your gifts and your talents. Don't join a church because you get lost in it. It's so large that nobody asks about you and you can't get involved. Find a ministry that is just the right size that you can take your gifts and your talent that God has given to you and that you want to invest your life in in the kingdom of God in that particular ministry. Uh, Go into a ministry that you can be used, you can serve. Um, Find out that that niche area in in the ministry that you can make your contribution. So look at the opportunities to serve and the exercise of your gifts and your talents within that ministry. One other thing that I think is important is your missions program. Most churches were started out of missions. Missionaries came to the Caribbean, different parts of the world, and they invested uh, their lives in trying to reach people for Christ, and then the church was founded. What seems to me totally incredible 
that those very churches that were founded out of missionary activity, uh, that they can big, big, uh, build large monolithic structures, uh, invest in all kind of aesthetic buildings, but when you ask about the missionary program, it virtually doesn't exist. If I was in a church where there wasn't a missionary program, I pretty much would leave. Because the, the purpose of the church is to carry the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. How in the world can we be having church and disobeying the primary mandate that has been given to us? So I would look at the missions program and make sure that our church uh, supports missionaries, not just in the Caribbean, uh, but beyond the Caribbean, onto the uttermost parts of the world. So look at the missions program and see if there is such a program. Another item that I think is important is the biblical qualification of the leaders. This is a day when anybody and everybody is in the pulpit. Uh, it seems as though biblical standards for ministry and for pastoral work has pretty much disappeared. You've got people who can divorce in one country, go to another country, and become a pastor. Uh, it's important for you to understand that God sets the qualifications and God outlines the moral and spiritual qualifications of the pastor. It's not so much a man's brilliance or man's intellect. That it doesn't even come into play in the biblical qualifications per se in the book of Timothy and Titus. All the biblical qualifications revolve around spiritual issues, moral issues, and family issues. Uh, the only intellectual one that really stands out is that he ought to be apt to teach. So what God is concerned about the moral character and the spiritual life of the individual and the family, fa- his family life. And I think that when you're looking for a church, uh, make sure that uh, the leaders meet those demands and meet those qualifications. And lastly, and this one might seem quite um, out of place in line with the others I've mentioned, but I think it's, in- it's important. Look at the environment and the facilities of the church. Do the people in that church seem to care about the image of their church and what it presents to the community? Is the church run down? Now, their homes are not run down. Uh, Their homes are painted. Their homes are presented in a way that is attractive. Then how there can we treat the house of God with such utter disrespect that we don't seem to be concerned about the first um, impression that is given by somebody who comes to a church? Now, we're not going to get lost in the matter of facilities and building uh, these monolithic buildings, etc. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about keeping the surroundings elegant. I'm talking about beautifying the surroundings. I'm talking about an atmosphere that people can come into your church and feel comfortable. Uh, I'm talking about uh, making sure that the, 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 the yard is manicured, the grass is manicured. I'm talking about these basic things. They say a lot about the people who who worship in those in those places. It gives you an idea of how serious uh, do they view God. You go into the Old Testament and you see that when God was going to build a temple, uh, nothing was spared in terms of trying to make it a, a building of beauty and creativity. Uh, how how can we do any less today? And uh, when people visit our churches, it's run down, it's dilapidated. Uh, the pews are falling apart. It hasn't had a paint job in the last 10 years. To my mind, that says a lot about people's attitude towards their God. If that's the way they treat their God, uh, I would have some suspicion that maybe uh, he doesn't really count very much. So I think that even though this might seem a very unimportant uh, principle, 
I do think when you look at it carefully and examine it uh, more thoughtfully, you see it is also vital uh, in terms of looking for church. Those are just uh, ten of the um, ideas and and, uh, guidelines I would give to a person who is looking for a church. Uh, Of course, there are others, but I think those are the fundamental ones I think that would be crucial uh, in finding a church. Pastor Murphy, would you advise a person who is looking for a church to seek out that church doctrinal statement or mission statement or the church constitution before you join that church? Whatever church you're going to, you need to know what are their beliefs. I have said this, and I will repeat it again. Christianity is about truth. It's not about emotion. It's about truth. Uh, only truth can set us free. Emotions might tickle our ears, but it can never set us free. We need to make sure that we are we can endorse a church doctrinal statement, that we can support the church's doctrinal statement and the, 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 the procedure of operation. If we can't, uh, we need to find another church where we can. But it is absolutely essential that we hold to the fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith. And uh, where a church deviates from biblical doctrine, the proper thing for the believer to do is to separate from that ministry and from that church and find a church that is true to Scripture. Thank you, Pastor Murphy. You know, God is pleased with worship that pleases Him. Should the way a church conduct its worship be an important factor in choosing a church? For example, the importance it plays on the Word of God or the kind of music. Well, you know, the, the great Spurgeon made a comment some time ago, and uh, it's humorous, but it's very profound at the same time. He said, we got to be careful that we are feeding sheep and not amusing the goats. I think that that says a lot. Worship is about God. It's not about us. It's about focusing our praise and our commendation uh, and our worship towards Him. We don't go to church to feel good. If that's why we're going to church, we've missed the whole purpose of church. Because worship is ascribing worth to Him. It's, it's magnifying Him. It's glorifying Him. It is exalting Him. It is praising Him for who He is what he's done in our uh, in his works and how he's working in our lives worship is focused f- solely on god now when we worship god and we elevate god our spirits are lifted at the same time so when it comes to this whole matter of, ch- of choosing the church as well and the form of worship i think it is very very crucial one thing that bothers me as a pastor today and i must um I probably will get a lot of flack for this but it's worth saying I think we've now entered what I call the entertainment era in churches. I think we've got services where we sing for two hours and we preach for 15 minutes. If that's the church you're going to, you need another church. That's out of order, completely out of order. Uh, The Word of God is central to the ministry. Uh, We're supposed to preach the Word. Uh, Music and all the other... uh, aspects of the the worship service uh, is all designed to lead up to that moment when we listen to God's Word and hear God speak to us. So we got to make sure we have a balance in our churches, in our ministries. 
And that balance must be that the, the preponderance of uh, time is given to the preaching of the Word, and the, the singing and all the other activities are just uh, preparing for that moment when the Word of God is being preached. What I see today bothers me greatly. And uh, I think we are creating a generation that has the Christian faith. It's a mile long and an inch deep. Very, very, very shallow people in our churches. And it seems to me that the entertainment trend is beginning to take over the church. And people are coming more to be entertained than to hear what God has to say from His Word. When that begins to happen... What we have is a form of Christianity that is outside the pale of biblical Christianity. And uh, churches that that practice these things need to come back to the biblical model uh, and uh, try to do some rectification in terms of these matters and the services. Okay, as we continue, Pastor Murphy, here's a question from a listener in the Virgin Islands. And this listener has a question for you. Is it wrong to borrow from your tithe money to meet a need if you are out of cash to meet that need? My response to that basically is, is this. If the person is convinced and their conscience have led them to believe that tithing is the proper biblical procedure and that person is committed to a uh, to, to tithing, um, my 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 uh, suggestion would be this: I, I would not recommend that if you really sincerely believe that the tithe belongs to the Lord and you've been practicing this for consistently in your life. This is this is something you hold to true heartedly. You really believe that. I think it violates your conscience to go into God's kitty and take out what belongs to God. I would suggest to you, if I were in your dilemma and I really uh, had a, a real particular need and I felt that um, I had to somehow do something, I would probably uh, bring that need to a brother or sister. I would probably even go to the extent where I sit down and talk with my pastor and uh, explain to him my dilemma. And uh, I would suggest to you that if you were to do that, I would be totally surprised if either a brother in Christ or a pastor would not try to assist in whatever way they can. Now, they may be able to assist where they give you a small loan, or they might agree to just give you whatever that particular need is. But for conscience sake, uh, I would not violate my conscience and go against the biblical principle that I believe in by taking uh, funding that belongs to the Lord and uh, use it for personal use. Uh, We need to trust God. And I know that if you're, tr- if, you're, if you're tithing, I know you're trusting Him. Well, if you are trusting Him and He hasn't come through on this occasion, uh, there, is a, there has to be something that is wrong somewhere. Uh, maybe you've overspent some money. Maybe you didn't uh, do a proper financial planning. I'm not too sure exactly what your position is. But don't compound the problem by violating your conscience and going against co- contrary to Scripture. There are brothers and sisters in Christ who are deeply concerned about our welfare. That's what the church is for. That's why we're there as as belonging to a family. We all come into financial situations where, uh, for some reason or the other, we have financial strains and financial needs and financial problems. But um, if I'm forced 
to go against my conscience and go against what I believe to be biblical truth. Uh, there has to be another way. And I would, I would, I would recommend to you, um, even if, you, if you're pride, uh, humble yourself. We all have needs. We all have to turn to people at some point in time. Uh, j- just, you must have a close friend within the church. You must have a, a, a relationship with your pastor somehow, a deacon. But I am sure that your problem can be solved without you having to go against uh, biblical standards and your conscience. So try that first, and uh, I think that would be the proper way to go. It seems like the, the person saying, I am borrowing from my tide. So he's borrowing from himself and with this intention of um, paying back. My, my response to that would be, look, it's, it's very easy for us to pontificate as pastors behind a mic. I don't know your dilemma. Um, um, you know, I, I don't know your intention. I mean, if you, if you feel that you're going to give back what you're taking and giving back to the Lord, quite frankly, I personally wouldn't have a problem with that. My problem would be that if you take out of it, look, I've, um, I suppose what you're suggesting there, I would be surprised that many people do it. I would not be surprised. But if your conscience uh, smites you, I would not go against my conscience. But personally, if you intended to use part of it and you intend to give it back, I as a pastor personally would not have a problem with that. I think God sees things. God understands. He understands your motive. And uh, you wrestle with him about that and tell him he gave you a shortfall this time. And you are you're forced to do what he, he uh, what you go against against and uh, uh, look you come to God and you tell God exactly how you feel about this matter. God is not surprised by anything you tell him, and if you have to complain to him, uh, complain to him. But that's a matter between you and God. I'm not to be your conscience in this matter. Um, I would rather follow my own personal conscience in this matter. If you really feel that this is okay and you're going to put it back. I don't have a problem with it, sir. Pastor Murphy, we are going to switch to our next question. And this has to do with the passage of Scripture in the Gospel of John, chapter 4. The encounter with the woman of Samaria and the Lord Jesus Christ. And the question that our listener asks is... Would you please explain what it's meant by in spirit and truth? And also, what does worship mean? This chapter is one of the most interesting chapters uh, in the entire New Testament. And the narrative basically has to do with our Lord's confrontation with a Samaritan woman. Uh, I think that in order to answer your question, we need to do some contextual um, history on the passage so you can understand where our Lord is coming from because I think that there's some keys to help you to understand what the Lord means. Remember that the Samaritans were a group of people uh, who were hybrids. And what I mean by that, they were what, what some commentators call a Mongol race. That is, they were a mixture of Jew and the Assyrians. When the Assyrians took Israel into, cap- into captivity in 722, uh, the remnant Jews that were there uh, intermarried with the Assyrians that were transported from Assyria and brought over into Israel. So it was the, actually the Assyrians and the marriage of the Jews that created what is called the Samaritan uh, ethnic group. 
Um, the other thing about it is that the Samaritans uh, separated from the Jews and created their own religious system. They had their own t- 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 uh, temple, they had their own uh, priest, and there was a place called Mount Gerizim, and the Jews, of course, had it at Jerusalem. Uh, there was intense rivalry between these two groups. As a matter of fact, the lady is shocked that our Lord asked for water. She said the Jews have no dealings uh, with the Samaritans. So there's a, a long history of hatred, dislike, animosity. Um, uh, so this led now to our Lord coming through Samaria. He's going up to Galilee, and he sits on a well and he meets this lady, gets into a conversation with her, and uh, he begins to talk to her about uh, water and um, of course it becomes a conversation where he takes the natural request for water and he turns it into a spiritual subject where he talks about living water and uh, the woman is enthralled by what he's saying and she wants this living water that he talks about but again she's a religious woman uh, you'll find out later she said our fathers worship in this mountain and your Jews said that she worship in Jerusalem etc etc but after wetting her appetite for this living water, and she wants it. But again, before he gives it to her, he, she has a problem he has to deal with. He has to head, get her to understand that she needs it because of her sinful lifestyle. And so he says to her, very brushly, call your husband. Now, that is designed to provoke in her and awaken in her the fact that she is living in a very sinful lifestyle. He can't give her the living water until she first acknowledges she needs it. How is she going to acknowledge it? She needs it unless she understands that her lifestyle is not conducive to putting her faith and trust in Christ unless she repents and wants to change. So he has to awaken her conscience uh, to this matter. So uh, she says, I, I, you know, the man I'm living with is not my husband. And the Lord said, I know that. You had five before, and you got number six now. This is a woman who's searching for a relationship, a woman who's searching for somebody to truly love her, but she's been used again and again and again and again. And then she begins to ask the question about uh, worship, and she wants to know where uh, is the proper place to worship. By the way, it's interesting that in these four verses, the word worship is used nine times in these four verses, just for, from verse 20 to verse 24, nine times this word worship is used. Uh, the word that is used there is the Greek word proskunio, which means to bow down. It means to do reverence, and it means also to kiss the words. It's a term of that speaks of reverence and bowing before God and acknowledging uh, His sovereignty over our lives. Uh, what is interesting here is that this woman connects worship with a place. And uh, our Lord, in dealing with her, uh, tells her that neither in Mount Gerizim nor in Jerusalem, the time has come where they that worship God will worship God in spirit and in truth. Now, two things I think are vital to understanding what is meant by spirit and truth. Number one, Jesus made it very clear that the place is going to be made irrelevant. Uh, A new dispensation is going to dawn. A new uh, covenant is going to be formed where the indwelling Holy Spirit will now take up his residence in the believer. So it doesn't matter where the believer is. It's no longer a place. It's a person. So whether in Jerusalem or Mount Gerizim, that's immaterial. That has nothing to do with it any longer. You don't have to go to a place any longer because the indwelling Spirit would enable you to worship God wherever you are. 
that's the first thing that we need to, to point out here, that uh, the woman's focus is on a place, seeing worship as a particular location, a locality, some uh, locus that uh, uh, the worship is. The second thing that Jesus told her is that uh, you worship what you don't know about, but we, we, we worship what we do know, salvation of the Jews. The second thing he tells is this, you, your worship is unacceptable worship. It's false worship. You don't even know what you're worshiping. You're not worshiping the true and the living God because the Samaritans, when the Assyrians came over from Assyria into Israel and into Mary with the Jews, they brought their gods with them. So you've got the mixture of the true and the living God along with all of these false gods that came from Assyria. You have a pantheon of gods that these people are worshipping. And Jesus said, uh, you worship what you don't know about. So clearly it's not only the, a, a, a wrong pl- uh, diplomat of place, but also uh, a false worship is involved. And he said these words, we know what we worship, salvation is of the Jews. What is he pointing out? Now remember he's dealing with worship. But worship comes out of genuine salvation. Take the book of Exodus and the book of Leviticus. God never introduces worship in Leviticus until, first of all, you have redemption and exodus. Worship always follows redemption. So he's trying to get this woman to understand that we are talking about worship. Now let's talk about worship. It's not about a place. It's, it's about this whole matter of redemption. See, No unsafe person can worship God because he doesn't have access to God. And we'll talk about that for just a moment. So we're talking about, he's talking about place is inconsequential. But what really matters here, he's saying, is this whole matter that salvation is a Jew. So salvation comes into this whole matter of worship. And you cannot worship the true and the living God unless you have been redeemed. And clearly, these Samaritan people who are practicing their form of worship, but they're unredeemed sinners. So therefore, it's false worship. So he has to correct that. The other thing that our Lord uh, points out in in dealing with this uh, woman is that he tells them very clearly that true worship must be directed to the Father, uh, God the Father. No one is worshipping biblically and scripturally and authentically whose worship is not directed to the God of the Bible. The Father is the one that men should worship. If any man is worshipping any other God than Jehovah, than Yahweh, than the God of the Bible, that worship is false. It doesn't matter who he is, whether he be a Hindu, whether he be a Muslim, whether he be a Taoist, whether he be a Buddhist. Worship in itself is vain unless it's directed to the true and the living God. So the Lord says the Father uh, worship should be directed. And then he talks about the manner now. You must worship in spirit and in truth. So let, let's, let me clarify what I believe uh, our Lord is teaching here. Now remember, they're seeing worship in terms of a place, something that is external, in a particular location. Our Lord uh, takes that out of the picture and replaces that now with spirit. It's no longer an external, formal location where you worship. It's an internal matter of the spirit of man. Now remember that man's spirit is energized by the, the spirit of God when he comes to live within the, the, the believer. An unsaved man has a dead spirit. 
It's only conversion and salvation. No, creates a living spirit. So rather than this external, formal uh, location where people go a place, our Lord is now saying the true worship that has come as a result of the new covenant. It's an internal worship where it's the inner man, the spirit of man now, that directs worship towards God. By the way, in the Old Testament, our Lord pleads again and again for people to worship Him in sincerity with their hearts, with the inner being. He says in, in Joshua chapter 24, verse 14, Fear the Lord and serve the Lord in sincerity and truth. He said in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24, Fear the Lord and serve Him in truth and with all your heart. See, God wants not external worship. God wants a worship that comes from the inner being of man, and when it says in spirit, the human spirit uh, energized by the spirit of God now becomes the center of worship. So worship is something more internal than something external. It's not the location of a place, but it's the location within the individual. It's now getting what God has always wanted in the Old Testament. Truth, but sincerity coming from within and not something purely external. And then, of course, it has to be in truth. What does that mean? Well, we can only worship God according to the truth about God. And that's why he said God is a spirit. The idea of setting up images and to have a material um, statue before you because it makes you think that God is closer is completely contrary to Scripture. God is a spirit. Spirit communicates with spirit. So he's now again moving away from this external material form of worship and he wants us to understand it. we must worship God in truth and according to truth. And by the way, that truth is truth about him, the Messiah. You remember what he told the woman? She said, I know the Messiah when he comes, he'll tell us these things. <laughs> and then Jesus said, I am he that speak to you. I'm he. I am the Messiah. Now why is that so important? That the truth that worship in truth has to relate to Jesus Christ and who He is. Because the Bible makes it very, very clear in Scripture that it is only through Jesus Christ that we have access to God. Uh, if you read the book of Ephesians, you'll find that the Bible says we have access to Him, to the Father. Ephesians 5.11, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith through Him. Romans chapter 5, by whom also we have access. No one has access to God in worship apart from Jesus Christ. So that's why the truth, truth about Him, truth about God. So when we worship God, we worship God from our inner being, from the human spirit, in sincerity, but also according to the truth that God has revealed to us, that no access to God can be had apart from Jesus Christ. So any man that is directing worship to Christ, apart from, to God apart from Christ, you can know one thing. It is false worship. And it doesn't come, it doesn't get through to God, it doesn't please God, and it completely uh, goes contrary to what the Bible teaches in this passage. So to be very clear, worship has to do with bowing down before God. That's what the word means. It means... Uh, uh, to surrendering to Him. It means to acknowledging His sovereignty. 
That's what this concept is. You're bowing before your, your God of, of Creator. That's what the word that is used here. Uh, and then it also entails uh, the inner person, your inner, your inner being. You worship God with your inner being and according to the truth that is revealed in Scripture in regards to access to God through Jesus Christ. That would be my, my, um, my interpretation of that passage. Pastor Murphy, it seems like we have a listener who wants to go live on the air. We have a listener from St. Kitts. I'm listening, madam. Go ahead, sir. What's your question? Hello, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. What's your question? Good night, Pastor Murphy. Good night. Calling from St. Kitts. Good night, sir. As we got to the caller, as we got to the person from the Virgin Islands talking about Thai, uh-huh. I firmly believe that is a breakdown in faith. Okay. Yes, that person shouldn't touch what is already allocated to the church. Shouldn't. Yeah. And because of, as we, let us look at Abraham and Isaac. Uh-huh. Isaac saw the wood, he saw the altar being built, and he asked his father, where is the lamb? Right. And Abraham said, God will provide. Correct. And I think that that person should have, if they, if they were not a breakdown in faith, that person would have said, God will provide. Yeah. I don't dispute that. Um, I think that all of us go through times when our faith fails us in the sense right. that uh, you know, it's not, there's no such thing as perfection, as you know. But in a case like that, I was first recommending to her that if I were in that kind of a dilemma, mm. uh, my first option would be to bring the need well, of course, to God in prayer, but well, if that's not working out for whatever reason, it might be a moment of trial, I certainly would turn to another brother or sister in the church, or I would turn to the pastor and express my my need and my concern and see if there's any way that I can be helped. That's why we're there as well. There are times when God uses us to help other people, and that might be the opportunity for us to, to be of some that, assistance to her. That is quite true. That is yeah. quite true. But I agree uh, with you. A, a general, The general sentiments of what you said, I agree with. Right. The breakdown is faith. And let me tell you something. Satan is always there to tell us, to make us feel weak, to make us feel that there is nothing that can be done but just do so, 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 so. Yeah. And yeah. after we buy into that, we end up with, we end up fighting against our conscience. Yeah. But if we stick out to the fight, according to the scriptures, mm-hmm. we become victorious. Correct, correct. We must not forget. In this, in this particular issue, we must not forget about Ananias and Sapphira. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. So that's all I have to say. Thank you, you very much. you a very good job. I appreciate and we, that. We thank you for listening to you. Oh, God bless you. Yes. Pray yes, for us. Brother. I support you very much. And call again, please, okay? Thank you, Pastor Murphy. God bless. Bye-bye. Good, my brother. Good, good. Certainly do appreciate that call from St. Kitts. Pastor Murphy, it seemed like we might have to do a program on tithing. Yeah, and worship too. I think we need to do one on worship. Uh, yes, what um, true worship is all about. Well, we only have a couple more minutes. And, um, well, I had some question in my mind about the word spirit mm-hmm. that is used in those verses. Mm-hmm. Because there are some commentators who seem to say it's the human spirit, yeah. as you mentioned, and there are others who said it's the Holy Spirit, and there are those who said it's both. My, my response to that would be, you have to, uh, I'm looking at the context, I'm looking at the person the Lord is dealing with. This is not a, uh, a Jew who has theological knowledge about 
how the Spirit of God works, etc., etc. This is not a person who has the enlightenment of uh, two centuries of, of Christianity. And it is tempted to think that um, the woman would have understood the Holy Spirit. But I am more inclined, since the Lord pointed out two things, the matter of her um, thinking that worship is about a particular location, a particular place, and that the fact that she was worshiping uh, these 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 uh, idol gods in ignorance, basically, thinking she was worshiping through God. I think that his response to her uh, spirit and in truth related to those two matters that was raised by him. So that's why I think it has more to do with, rather than a particular location, uh, in this new dispensation when a person is born again and come into the, 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 the new covenant, the Holy Spirit indwells the believer. When the Holy Spirit comes to indwell the believer, of course, the, the, the Holy Spirit energizes the, the believer's spirit. The, the, man that is not, the man that's not saved, the Bible says he's dead. His spirit is dead. So the Holy Spirit is involved. But I also think it has to do that it has to do with it a more inner worship than an outward external worship of formalities is exactly what you had both in the Old Testament, uh at, in the Jewish case and also in the case of the Samaritan. And then the matter of truth. I do think that is central. Thank you very much, Pastor Murphy. We have now come to the end of our program for tonight. We do appreciate those who have taken the time out to join us here on that street tonight, I do trust that you have really received some clarity on the topics that we have dealt with tonight. So once again, thanks for being a part of the program. We do appreciate those who have written in or we want to also thank all listeners in St. Kitts for that call. We do appreciate him doing so. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.